welcome this morning. I just want to thank you so much for taking this time, setting apart this time to lean into our Father in heaven today, to worship Him because He's a good God. Man, these songs we've sung this morning just radiate and just communicate just such an awesome glory and value of who God is and what He's done. And I pray that we would not take that lightly this morning. I pray that you would shut off all distractions and that you would just really lean in, whether you're watching this live with us now or you're watching it later in the day or even tomorrow, that you would just take time and just lean into what God has for for you. And... um, You know, I just want to start by reading the passage of Scripture. I want to ask you to open to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'm going to read for us, and then I'm going to pray over us and allow God to communicate to us the truth He has for us this morning in His Word. Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Church, let's pray together this morning. Father, I just thank you. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I I, I thank you for your goodness and your glory, God. Lord, I pray this morning as we continue to lean into this text, Lord, as we're instructed on what it means to to resonate and and to, to live and to rest under the kingship of Christ. Father God, I pray that you would just instruct us. God, instruct us on what it means to be a faithful friend. God, instruct us on what it means to be a faithful spouse. God, instruct us on what it means to be a faithful member of your family. Lord, walking in your goodness. God, being led by your grace and mercy into every place you'd have us to be. Father, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the gifts of relationships. You know, and when we speak of relationships, I want us to see it as a broader uh, term than just, say, a husband and wife or girlfriend and boyfriend. I'm speaking of relationships, or when the Bible talks about friend or friendships, it's speaking of a companionship. It's speaking of these people that lean into life together, that have a concern for each other, that have a love for each other, that are just drawn to mentorship. I'm talking about a partnership or a marriage, whatever, just any aspect of where a relationship leans in together. 
that this is a great gift from God. You know, this, this opportunity to feel loved, to feel supported, to feel important, to feel challenged, to feel encouraged. You know, and God uses relationships. God uses uh, the relationships that we have to visualize and to reveal to us some things. He reveals to us uh, the, the covenantal connection of love and devotion between us and God and between God and his people. He uses that to reveal that to us. And he also uses our relationships to show us the effects of sin and selfish, uh, selfishness that, that, that come into that, that affect us and how it works in our lives and how it works in our day-to-day and our relationships. And so we've been talking about David. We've been talking about King David and, uh, and, and how he's navigated this time. You know, we started with David, his rise and his presence here in Israel that he started last week. We talked about him conquering the enemy, this enemy that Saul just could not conquer, that he could not bring about and uh, gaining the trust of the people and having God's favor, God's provision over his life. But the main thing that we'll understand about David is that David is called in 1 Samuel 13 a man after God's own heart. And so a lot of times we ask ourselves, what does that mean to be a man after God's own heart? And basically what that is, is that is someone whose will lines up with the will of God. That you've leaned into God's uh, call, you've leaned into God's commands, and not perfectly, because we'll know as we'll talk about in the weeks to come how imperfect David truly was, but to still be called a man after God's own heart showed that this was a man that was pursuing the Lord's will. That he was pursuing God, that he was being faithful to God's commands, being faithful to God's uh, draw in his life. And so what I want us to see from the text this morning as we kind of uh, went over these verses is we begin to see these layers of this dynamic of relationships and how it affects us and how it grows us and how it develops us in our Christian walk as, with Christ as king. How we see this, uh, our relationships, our friendships, our partnerships, our companionships, our mentorships, how those things are shaped by certain, certain aspects of how we enter into those things. And it's two things, two dynamics that I think we'll see this morning is that we'll see that, uh, that one part of it is built out by humility and the other part of it is built out by pride. And so there's two things that I want us to realize about those two things. And then the first thing that we'll start with this morning is that our humility, humility itself builds unity. That humility builds unity. And we see that from how David navigates this text. And what we'll really see, the person that will really shine through in this text is Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. This is the first time whenever we see Saul and Jonathan, uh, David and Jonathan interact and so what we see here in verse 1, as we lean into this first verse, it says, As soon as he had, he had finished speaking, so David is speaking to Saul, kind of giving a debriefing after the battle with the Philistines. It says that as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And so Jonathan is obviously present in this time, and so he's hearing David share his heart. He's hearing David share uh, his, his, his motives and his intentions and just everything that happened. And it says that within this, that the soul of Jonathan was knit, or it was mingled to, or it was tied to in that moment, the soul of David. You know, and, and the thing that I think is unique about this, as we're kind of framing up a faithful friendship or faithful relationships, the thing that I think is important about this text that we see here is that it shows something very important. It shows that Jonathan is doing something that is vital to friendships, that is vital to relationships, that is vital to mentorships, is that he is listening that he is listening. And this shows a sense of humility. Because when we listen to someone, what we do is we attribute value to them, is that we attribute respect to them, and that what Jonathan is doing is that he's listening. And through listening, he hears David. You know, and I think all of us can, can attest to the fact that to hear is different than listening. 
You know, and, and all of us, I feel like we can fall very short in actually listening to the people around us. You know, as a husband, listening to your wife, a wife listening to your husband, a, a father or mother listening to your kids instead of just hearing that words and noise are coming out of their mouth. Are we actually hearing and listening, taking in the words that they're saying? And I believe Jonathan in this moment is listening to David because something happens, because he hears who David truly is. He begins to hear David's motives. He begins to hear what David is intending to do. You know, and, and this listening may or may not have been something he was actually invited into, but it's a very active thing, that he's purposefully, he's intentionally, he's actively listening to the heart of David. And because Jonathan was listening to him, and I think this is vital to that humility aspect of building unity in a friendship or a relationship, it says that, he heard him and that their souls were knit to each other. And so the important thing about this is Jonathan knew everything about, he knew who David was. And so because he was listening and not just hearing, he was not having to guess anything about David. Not having to guess about his intentions, not having to guess about his motivations or his, the heart, uh, the, where his heart was in the matter. Church, when we listen to each other, first off, we not only are showing a sense of humility because we're attributing value and respect to someone, but we're actually also allowing ourselves to hear who someone truly is. To be able to make an adequate assumption and make an adequate observation about who someone is rather than basing it off of something more superficial. Rather than basing it off of something that is leading us down a path, maybe their, their past or their history or these type of things, and where we can adequately uh, kind of uh, see someone is through listening. How, we, how I, as Jake, how I adequately see my wife is by listening to her. And I think the important thing that we know is that listening br brings clarity. That when we are actually listening to someone, then we will have a clear view of who they are and clearly understand where they're coming from. You know, rather than jumping to conclusions, rather than running off into situations, into thought processes that are, that are just uh, not drawing us together, that are not building unity... So it's important that we listen to each other. And what happens is, continuing on in, in this first verse, it says Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And so it's not only that they were kind of knit and drawn together, but this knitting or this drawing together is being done in a deep-rooted unity. That is only done by the Spirit of God. That is only done by the Spirit of God. And Scripture over and over and over again speaks of this unity that happens and that we know as believers that the Bible tells us that the Spirit can be quenched. And so when the Spirit is quenched, then that unity starts to dissipate. That unity starts to break to pieces. And so, you know, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a friendship, or whether it's even in a church, when the Spirit is quenched, then that unity starts to break up because the Spirit's desire is to unify His people. Ephesians 4.3 says the unity of the Spirit is in the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians 12.13 it says, And all were made to drink of one Spirit. There's this unity that comes in. Philippians 2.2, being of the same mind, having uh, the same love, being of full of cord and of one mind. And we know that Jonathan is a believer because earlier on in 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan actually makes a proclamation as he's going into war. Uh, he says that it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan is acknowledging then in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel that he believes in the work of the Lord. He has put his faith in the God of Israel. And because of that, as David comes in, a, a man that is it's faithful to the God of Israel, they are unified by the Spirit. 
that is helping them have a proper perspective of people, that is helping them have a proper perspective of each other. It actually leads them in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel 18, 3, says that they made a covenant, they made a promise, they made a commitment to each other. Listen, church, the thing that we have to understand, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's in a relationship, a marriage, however that might be, is that the bond of that unity is only as strong as we're allowing the Spirit to flourish in our life. You know, are we quenching our relationship with the Lord? Are we quenching the Spirit in our life? You know, because if we are, it will play on and and pull away from it and start to break down the unity that we have between each other. You know, the unity that we have between a husband and wife, the unity that we have between uh, a church and their leadership or the, the membership of that church, when the Spirit is quenched, things break down. And it starts to hinder our perspective of people. It starts to hinder the way that we see people. And, and that's why Jonathan is able to see David with so much clarity because he's listening to him and he's being driven by the Spirit of God to show him an adequate uh, evaluation of who David is. And then what's beautiful about this moment, as it continues on, we see one of the, uh, the, just an awesome moment of Scripture here. Because the thing that we have to remember, remember uh, over the last few weeks we've talked about that David has been chosen by God to be the anointed king of Israel. Now Saul was the first king of Israel. And the way most kingships worked, that they worked by this monarchy where the king would reign, and then right after him his son would reign, and then his son would reign, and then his son would reign. And so it was always through one bloodline that this kingship would continue. But what we see in in verse 4 of chapter 18 is we see this awesome moment of humility, this awesome moment of surrender. Let's read that together in verse 4. He says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. Their, Their hearts were drawn together by the Lord, cultivating this unity. And what it allowed Jonathan to see is to see the best of who David is, You know, regardless of place, regardless of status, regardless of of who David was or where David had come from, Jonathan was able able to have an adequate uh, evaluation of who David was to the point where Jonathan was willing to submit himself in love even though his, his right was to be the king of Israel. Jonathan stripping off his robe and giving it to David was a symbolic expression of him passing that kingship along. Jonathan would have been prince of Israel at this point. But he willingly gave that up, giving it to the, the, God, the, the king that God had chosen. You know, and Jonathan, the beautiful thing about when, we're, when the spirit is not quenched, when we're leaning into this unity that is, that is just that is motivated by humility. Just like for Jonathan, the way it allows us is it allows us not to see people as competition, but as comrades. It allows us to see people not as as problems in our life uh, to our progress, but it allows us to see people as partners, to step alongside. Because when we don't have an adequate view of each other, when we don't see people, you know, and, and, and be able to celebrate with them, then we always see them as competitors. We always see them as people that we're having to be better than, we're, we're having to, you know, and this even happens in the context of a relationship, that we're trying to one-up each other, be better than each other, try to be the one that's right, and we'll kind of talk about that more as we move on. But Jonathan did not see David as competition. He saw him as a comrade. He saw him as somebody that he could partner with even if 
it took the spotlight off of him. You know, I think this is vital in a friendship or in a relationship. Whenever we allow, whenever we allow other people to shine above ourselves, maybe they take the spotlight from us. Maybe they, 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 they fall into a place where we feel like we deserve to be or that we should be. Man, but what a beautiful uh, moment in a relationship when we're able to allow someone else to be celebrated. We allow, uh, allow ourselves to be submissive to someone else. You know, and later on in 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan would even go as far to proclaim it vocally, where he would say in verse tw- uh, chapter 23, verse 17 of 1 Samuel, you shall be king over Israel. And not only that, but he says, and I shall be next to you. That even though you'll be standing in the place that is rightfully mine, that he has such confidence in the Spirit of God has unified them so much that he tells them, I don't care if you rule over me. I'm going to give this to you. I'm, I'm, I'm falling into the will of God. And not only am I giving this up to you and I'm not running away bitter and I'm not running away angry because now you're elevated above me. You're shining uh, brighter than me. People are seeing you as more of authority, uh, more of a place of honor than me. Not, I'm not running away bitterly, but I'm standing next to you and celebrating with you. That I'm, I'm committing myself to you. You know, what an awesome moment that, we, that Jonathan is allowing this to happen. Recognizing God's will. You know, Jonathan was raised in competition. Jonathan was raised in arrogance by Saul. Because that is what Saul was motivated by. Saul was motivated by being the best. Getting people's praise. Getting people's approval. Getting all these things. You know, and... <laughs> The, 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 the thing is, is that their common commitment to the Lord allowed David and Jonathan to exemplify a God-honoring relationship. It allowed them to celebrate the goodness of God and what He was doing. You know, and it was stronger than envy, stronger than jealousy, stronger than self-ambition. Because in, whether it's in a partnership, a friendship, a relationship, in, the, in a faith family, if we approach life and relationships with ourselves as the goal seeing ourselves not as a means to an end, but as the very end, the very point of it, then everyone is a threat to our success. You know, holding ourselves to the highest value. If we are the point, we will never point people to Christ. If we are the, 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 the focus of the value, then everyone and everything is an enemy of that success. Everyone and everything is an enemy of that progress. Because if we see ourselves as the point, We will never point to God because the reality is humility, this submission, this love for others that allows ourselves to take a back seat, it builds bridges. And that it builds bridges to God. It builds bridges to Christ. And the last thing for us to understand that we see from the text is that pride builds walls. Where humility builds unity, pride builds walls. Keeping us from truly seeing each other. Keeping us from truly being able to interact and to love and to navigate life together. And you know, because what we see in 1 Samuel 18, 8, it says that Saul was angry. Saul was angry. You know, even after hearing from David and and the people come out, the people come out and they're celebrating the victory. You know, and and I think there's something very significant we have to see here in verses 6 and 7. It says, and as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, it says, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. So they came out to meet King Saul. In part of their song, they say this. They're playing instruments, singing to, to King Saul, and they say, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David is ten thousands. You know, I, I believe from this text that the song was not meant to be a stab at Saul. 
You know, what they're doing is they're celebrating the collective uh, unity. They're celebrating the collective victory of Israel. But because Saul's pride has built up walls between him and, and, and what God is doing in David's life, he's only able to see through his insecurity. His pride is leading him to paranoia. His pride is leading to the, him to this place where he believes everyone's out to get him. You know, and he even says, you know, uh, they're saying that David has done this above me. What else is there but the kingdom? He said, now David's going to revolt against me. Now David's going to take everything from me. You know, he's navigating this place where now he's seeing David as competition. He's not seeing him as a companion. You know, the people around him, they're not celebrating David. They came out to meet King Saul. They're celebrating King Saul's victory. But all Saul hears is that David is better. All Saul hears is that David has done better, that David's taking from me, that David's been elevated. You know, when we're navigating life in pride, we never hear the good things that people are saying about us. We only hear the good things everybody else is saying about everyone else and that we're falling below, that we're not finding value, that we're not finding a purpose, that we're not finding our place in the midst of it, but everyone else is better. We're always comparing. When we're navigating in pride, we're always comparing and we're always in competition. We're never in companionship. We're never in partnership with people that we've uh, made in opposition against us or even made a competitor against us. Too often we navigate life as competitors when really that's not the point. I'm not competing with anyone. No one's competing with me. I'm not competing with my spouse, nor is she competing with me. We're unified in this spirit, but when we navigate in pride, it builds up walls that keeps us from interacting with each other and seeing each other in that way. You know, uh, what, what Saul hears is that Saul hears a loss of status. Saul hears a loss of power. Saul hears a loss of property. Saul hears a loss of respect because Saul is being driven by insecurity. Saul doesn't know who he is in the Lord. Saul doesn't know what God had been doing for him up to this point. Granted, Saul had lost the kingship and that eventually David would become king. But Saul was still making these choices and he was not seeing what was going on around him. I read this quote this week. It says, Pride slays thanksgiving. Pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grows. When we navigate in pride, we're not able to be thankful for anything. Because everything is a problem against our progress. Everything is a competitor against us. Everything's trying to take from me. That's what Saul sees. Saul just sees everything being taken from him. When we navigate in pride, we only see what we lose. We're not seeing what we're gaining. And so where is this most notable in our lives? You know, because in reality, even after this, this leads Saul to, to physical uh, violence against David. He actually throws a spear at him, and David has to dodge it twice. It's not the last time that Saul will try to kill David. And what does David do? David continues to be faithful to Saul, because Saul is a faithful, David is a faithful friend. But Saul is being motivated by pride. David's being motivated by humility. So where do we see this mo most applicable? I believe, obviously, it's in our marriages. You know, too often we see each other as competitors rather than companions. You know, who's, we're, we're thinking of each other and who's, uh, who's right or who's wrong. You know, we're thinking of each other and, and who wields the power of influence, who's wearing the pants in the family. There's always this constant power struggle when we're navigating in pride. We're trying, to, we're trying to hold all the chips, right? We feel like if we're holding all the chips in a marriage, then we can, we can push things where we want them to go. And that's such a damaging place to be because all it's doing is building up walls between us. 
you know, and even to the place where we're not being honest with each other because we're afraid if I'm honest about where I've struggled or where I've made mistakes or even if I admit guilt or ask for forgiveness in something, then we're afraid that our spouse will hold that against us and utilize that as power against us. So then it begins to deteriorate the honesty that's happening between a couple. You know, pride builds walls. Where else do we see this? We see this in social relationships. Well, we're not looking out for other people's needs. We're not looking out for other people's uh, intentions or desires. But what we're looking at is ourselves. And so everyone else is being shut out outside the walls of our pride. And we're not seeing anyone else as anything other than someone taking something from me. Well, if, I, if I'm not the best, then someone else will be the best. And so I have to step over them to get where I'm at. Maybe we see this play out in our jobs. Maybe we see this play out in our friend circles. We want to be the point of focus. We want to be uh, the, the point of, of resources. We want everything coming to us rather than, like Jonathan, celebrating something that God's doing in his life or, and standing alongside him in something, even if he's not the point. You know, in, in our relationships, you know, elevating our own needs above others. And then the, the last place where we really see this, and this is probably the most difficult place, and, and I don't think this is a reason to run away from the faith, but I think it is something that we have to acknowledge, is where we see this play out is in the Christian faith. We see this happen in Christian ministry. You know, that we become more worried about uh, people in our seats. We become more worried about giving. We become more worried about our status in a community rather than leaning into, leaning into people instead of seeing other people or other churches or other uh, followers of God as companions, we begin to see them as competitors. What a damaging place for the kingdom of God. When as Christian ministries see each other as competitors rather than companions in the work of God's kingdom. Because that's what Jonathan saw with David. He saw a work that needed to be accomplished for God's people. He didn't care who was king. He didn't care who was the focus. He didn't care who was on top. He said, I don't care how much praise David's getting. I'm going to stand next to him. I'm going to fight with him. We're going to fight together because we have a, a single purpose. Instead of a problem to our success, we see people as partners in our progress. Unfortunately, Christian ministry is a place where we see this pride building up walls. We spend so much time looking inside in numbers, attendance, and comparing ourselves to other ministries, we lose sight of those around us who are hurting and in need of the gospel and needing the influence of Christian love in their life. You know, then like Saul, ministers and church leaders walk around in bitterness and contempt towards people who don't fit into the mold or do things the way they think they should or that they want them to. That's another message for another day. But I pray that we could see, that we could see that pride builds up walls between us and the work of God in our life, in our marriage, in our situation. So why does this all matter? You know, what's the most important thing that I hope that we can see from this? Is that this faithful friendship and that every faithful relationship that we navigate in our lives is at its core a representation of the gospel. At its core, a very representation of the gospel. Do you understand that in your marriage, that the way your marriage functions will reveal to your children or the people around you what you believe about the gospel? You know, and, and, and even in our lives is making a decision in response to the gospel. Jonathan was a rightful heir. And he willingly relinquishes his status and commits to the good of a new king's reign. You know, so the challenge is this for us. In our companionship with Christ, our commitment to the faith and His kingdom, are we giving up our reign as king? 
You know, are we taking off our robe of ruler and giving it to Christ in our life? You know, are we, are we relinquishing our power? You know, are we giving that up? What we feel like is ours to step into, wherein pride we hold on to it and fight for it, we choose as Christians, that's what we do, is we give it up to Jesus. We give up the reign and rule. We give it up to our friend. We give it up to the one who is united to us through the Spirit of God, that, that we give that up willingly and allow Christ to reign and rule in our life, understanding and believing that He's a faithful friend. That he's a faithful friend. You know, and, and the reality of this is, is that it is easy to call Jesus Savior. It's easy to celebrate that Jesus has saved me from my sins. It's easy to celebrate that Christ has, has taken me out of the clutches of death and saved me from an eternity separated from him. But it's harder to call Christ King. It's harder to call Christ Lord because that means we have to relinquish some power. And the thing we have to understand is these things go hand in hand. Christ as Savior only works as much as Christ as King. You know, and I pray that we would be those people that have truly embraced the saving work of Jesus by relinquishing our power, relinquishing our rulership to Him. Because the thing that, that we understand is that we serve a faithful friend and that as we robe Him with our, our, our robe of ruler, as our robe of king in our life, as we give that over to Him, pass that over to Him, you know what He does with us? He robes us in righteousness. So that as we stand before a holy God, we're not wearing our filthy rags anymore. We're wearing the robe of our king. We're wearing the robe of righteousness that shows God, reveals to, to God the Father that, that we aren't in our own robes anymore, that we're in the robes of our Father we're in the robes of, of Jesus, that He's our representative, that He's our King, and that we rest and are blessed by the benefits of the ki that King's ruler. You know, we're blessed by His ruling. We're blessed by His Lordship, that we get, get benefits from Him, just like with Jonathan. Jonathan gave up his, his kingship to David, and later on, in, in, after Jonathan has already died, David would take in his crippled son and, and provide for him. That there's benefits whenever Christ is your king. There was benefits for De Jonathan whenever David was his king. Church, I pray that we would see that the greatest benefit we could do for our family, for our life, for our relationships, for our friendships, would be making Christ king in our life. Because in that, His Spirit unifies us to people, allows us to see people for who they really are, not because of what they've done, not because of who they've been, not because of where they come from or what they look like, but because of the clarity that the Spirit gives to us. In a relationship, that's, that's how we see each other as husbands and wives clearly, celebrating with each other, loving each other, obviously not perfectly, but constantly leaning into the Spirit to guide us as we navigate our issues, as we navigate these things. And it comes by elevating Christ as King in our life. John 3.30, as John the Baptist, as Jesus was coming baptizing people, you know, as people asked him, you know, well, well, what about this? You know, Jesus is baptizing, you're baptizing, you know, what's this all about? Is he better than you, whatever? And John, and, and John the Baptist says, he says, look, I'm just a messenger. He must increase and I must decrease. Church, finding the blessings and the benefits of our king come when we decrease and he increases. He is king. He is ruler. And that every friendship, relationship, partnership, mentorship in our life is guided by the Spirit of God uni unifying us, this place of humility where we're giving of ourselves to God and to each other. 
to be able to navigate this Christian life adequately. Church, let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I just ask you that you would reveal to us in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our partnerships, in our mentorships, God, show us the place where pride is building up walls. Lord, show us the place where we've elevated ourselves to the point. God, show us those places, Lord, where, we, where you can lead us in and begin to establish humility. God, that is building bridges. God, that is not only building bridges to each other, but build, building bridges to you, building bridges to God. God, that is unifying us. God, humility is the only uh, ingredient to unity. God, pride has no place. God, pride, uh, we know that pride poisons uh, the relationship. God, pride poisons a friendship. God, pride poisons a church. God, allow us to never navigate in pride. And God, if we are navigating in pride today, God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we ask you to change that in our heart. God, we ask you to change that in our lives. God, because the great, we know the greatest king that ever lived, the greatest friend that we'll ever know, came and died a sinner's death for me. He showed us the greatest example of humility that we'll ever know. And God, I pray that that's what we rest in. And God, I pray that's what we're motivated by. God, I pray that that's what we're directed by. Father, we just love you so much. Lord, we lift you up. God, you're the point. Father, we thank you for what you've done. God, we just pray that you continue to do it in the lives of those listening. God, I, I pray that there, if there are any that don't know you as that faithful friend, God, I pray that they would know that today. That they would believe, that they would ask for forgiveness and begin to walk and to live in the light of your glory. Father, I just pray your protection over all those listening. God, just be with us. Lord, uh, continue to, to move this situation with the virus forward, God, and moving to a point where we can continue to gather together again, Father. And Lord, just continue to work on us as we're being the church in the community, in our homes, where we are today. Even though we're not gathering, Lord, the church is out there. And I pray that they would continue to be it. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Church, God bless you. Thank you. You know, and I pray that you would, uh, if there's some way we can be praying for you, that you would make a comment down below. Let us know. Maybe message us personally. If you have a question or concern about something, about uh, Christianity or your faith or your own personal walk, man, make contact with us. Communicate with us. We'd love to navigate these things with you and be a support to you uh, in however we can. Again, I love you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thank you again for joining us. God bless.